You know, I've been talking about family a lot lately because family is at the heart of some of what I am currently doing, getting ready to make a big move and look for opportunities for new friends and new relationships, but also building on the relationships that I have with my family and extended family. And my guest this week has made an incredible success of her business and done so with her family. And I think that that is so inspiring. It wasn't something I expected when I started this recording, but she has not only made an enormous success of herself for, you know, her immediate family, her husband, her kids, but has made a success of members of her family because they've been supportive of her and in return she has provided opportunity for them in a way that probably they wouldn't have found opportunity otherwise. I'm just really inspired listening to her uh, when we recorded this episode because she is an amazingly articulate and kind and caring and just overall great person. But to be able to help others, even as you are trying to help yourself, I think is an amazing gift. And I hope that as you listen to this episode, you'll appreciate not only her story of how she has created success in her business, but also how in building a business, she used the talents of the people in her family to catapult her business forward and also catapult the success of those members of her family. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I really, really enjoyed recording this episode So here we go. I'm just going to stop talking because I'm rambling. But here is my episode with Brooke Boltz from Boltz Legal. Enjoy. Welcome to the Profit Able Podcast, your go-to resource for tips to grow your business and live your best life. I'm your host, Terry Milroy, and each week I'll be bringing you insider strategies to help you build a profitable coaching business or online course while also cultivating a lifestyle that you love. Get ready to up-level your income and your joy as we dive into today's show. Let's do this. The Profit Able Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Milroy, and today I have a very special guest, Ms. Brooke Boltz. Brooke has been an injury and insurance attorney for 15 years, and before starting her law firm, Bolts Legal, she was a partner at one of the largest law firms in the state of Florida. Within 12 months of starting Bolts Legal, Brooke was bringing in an impressive seven figures, and within a few years after that was bringing in multiple seven figures, so we are excited to hear about that. As someone with no formal education in business, Brooke learned about business through personal experience and mentorship has developed a passion for helping other entrepreneurs grow, and that led her to start her own podcast, Ms. Biz. And Ms. Biz is currently ranked in the top 1.5% of podcasts globally by Listen Notes. So, Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here. So excited to have you. Okay. So, 
first tell us a little bit about um, starting your own law firm. Sure. And first, I also want to just comment that I've been getting over sickness, so my voice <laughs> is a little bit hoarse. So, so I'm not maybe going to sound as peppy as I otherwise would, but I apologize. And um, this isn't my normal voice. Uh, so, so starting my own law firm. I've had my own law firm now for six years. It's called Bolts Legal. It's located near Orlando, Florida, and we practice in, in injury and insurance cases. So a lot of the types of law that you're really familiar with that you see advertised on billboards all over the place, that's the kind of stuff that I do. Um, I started my own business uh, about six years ago. As I said before that, I worked for a large law firm for nine years on the opposite side of what I did, do now. I, uh, I represented insurance companies and their insureds. And really always kind of had a, had an interest in starting my own business, but was very afraid to because all the books I'd read said you need to have a six-figure savings account. And I never had that. I never had anything close to that. And so I just kind of thought that business ownership wasn't going to be in the cards for me. And then some things played out in in ways that I didn't expect or really ask for and kind of just was pushed into business ownership. And it turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened in my professional life. And I'm living a life now that I don't think I ever could accomplish having worked at another firm, even if I'd worked my way up for decades. So in addition to being a lawyer, you're basically an entrepreneur that kind of fell into entrepreneurship. Yes. And people don't always think that when they think of lawyers and they don't always think of that when they think about becoming a lawyer. I know I certainly didn't. When I thought about becoming a lawyer, I thought about being in a courtroom. I didn't think about out going to networking events and out <laughs> trying to conjure up clients. Like I just didn't even think about the business implications that come along with being a lawyer, particularly if you own your own business. Okay. So when you started your own law firm, what was the scariest part of starting your own business? Because I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that think that, you know, everything has to be easy and, you know, you don't have to have any doubts and that's probably not true, right? Right. That's you're, you're hundred percent correct. It was a very scary time. In fact, um, when I started, I didn't have any clients lined up. I didn't have much savings at all. Um, and I didn't have really even a plan and I didn't have a mentor. I, no one in my family had owned a business other than my grandfather who had a drywall hanging business. Uh, and, and I didn't learn much from him even about business ownership Anyways, so I just didn't know I didn't know anything about how to start a business. I didn't major in business in college. I just didn't really have anyone to look to for guidance on what to do. And the first thing I did was called up a friend of mine from law school who we really hadn't even kept in touch very well, but I knew she had a successful business that was a, and she lived a couple hours away from me. So I called her up and said, "Hey, um I'm starting my own business." what kind of recommendations would you have for me? And she was just so generous with sharing with me all the things that she was doing and all the things that had worked for her. And so I just started trying to emulate what she had done. She was much farther along the process 
than I was. She was 10 years in and I was just starting day one. So it wasn't realistic for me. I didn't have the kind of budget that she had to be able to do all the things she was doing. But I asked her questions like, if you could only do one thing, what would you do? And and if you could only afford this or that, the other thing, what would you do? And I just kind of looked to her for guidance and she was just super, super helpful until I was able to get to a place that I could afford to, to get some more formal coaching and training and things like that. Absolutely. And I'm curious, what was the one thing that she recommended that you invest in? She said, if you could only do one thing, join the Rotary Club. Really? That's mm-hmm. so interesting to market yeah. yourself. Yeah. Well, to meet people and make connections. Right. With relationships. That is so interesting. And I think that that kind of reflects the fact that business owners think that being an expert in their field is the most important thing about starting a business. But really, it's knowing how to find clients or how to sell your product, whatever your product is. That's really the number one thing when you start. 100% agree with that. In fact, the law firm that I worked at for so many years, it was so large. The uh, One of the primary rainmakers of that firm who brought in so much business, something he told me that has always stuck with me is that people don't want to work with you because they think you're the best lawyer. They want to work with you because they're your friend. Yeah. And- that really stuck with me because realistically there's a lot of good lawyers out there and a lot of lawyers who handle cases in similar ways and have great organizational skills and great courtroom skills. And at the end of the day, people want to relate to you. They want to think, yeah, I'd like to grab a coffee with him or her or, um, you know, have a play date with our kids sometime. Like they, They want to feel heard and understood and that you care for them and that you're a friend to them. So that was really um, a principle that I took to heart when I started building my business and still do. I'm just looking for people that I want to be friends with and people who want to be friends with me. And then we naturally work together. That's an amazing way to look at it. I know that, you know, in the coaching industry, building relationships is so important. And I, we're, we're going to talk about your website and your blog and your podcast and everything. And you are building relationships digitally with people as well as face-to-face. Do you think that it's important to have that one-to-one contact? Or do you think that you can build a relationship without the one-to-one time if you present yourself in the right way? I've heard someone say before that they can build the no like and trust factor on a podcast in 15 minutes if someone just listens to the podcast for that long i don't i don't know I, I that's not me saying that i don't know if that's true i guess the listeners to my podcast will have to tell me but i certainly believe you can build the no like and trust factor without having a one to one interaction in fact it's just, there's just not enough hours in the day to have one-to-one relationships with everybody. That's why I'm such a fan of podcasts and speaking engagements. Any Anyone who will let me speak on a microphone to an audience, I will be there because if I can 
if I can create even just, even if it doesn't get to the full trust component in just that time period, but if they now know me and they didn't before and they like me because I presented myself in a likable way, then that's a win for me. And, and so, yes, you can build that relationship by the dozens, hundreds, and thousands without having to have individual face-to-face meetings with everybody. I think that's a really good point. You think about lawyers kind of the same way you think about doctors sometimes, where, you know, if you go and share very vulnerable things with someone, you know, you want to feel like you have trust in that person to a fairly good level. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that trust can be built to that level without actually meeting with them. And and we know that, and you're right, because you look at coaches in the coaching industry who sell, you know, $20,000 coaching packages just by doing a live webinar. Um, But, but I think that you do have to know how to build that no like and trust factor. Is there something you think is key in the way you present yourself that builds it? Vulnerability and authenticity more than anything. Uh, some Sometimes, especially as lawyers, statistics show, and so there's reasons for this, that people want an aggressive attorney. That's yes. what statistics show. That's why so many legal ads are very aggressive and have titles like, you know, go get him and tiger and we're going to take them down, you know, yeah. there's reason for that. But, uh, that also comes with a, a, a flip side, which is it doesn't make you very approachable or, um, relate to people so much. And so for me, I've just tried to be authentic to who I am and, in doing things like social media videos and things like that, where I'm just speaking candidly, having the podcast, I think helps because it allows you to speak in a long form content or in a long form way where you are um, just sharing your thoughts and feelings and examples from your own personal life, stories from your own personal life, people hearing where you come from, challenges you've overcome. It makes you relatable. They recognize that you are have similarities to them and then they are rooting for you because they they want you to achieve because they hear where you came from and believe in where you're going. I think that's a really interesting point. My own mentor has a podcast as well as two businesses, one that's a seven-figure business, one that's an eight-figure business. And she talks about the fact that if you are not willing to present yourself as you really are, flaws and all, that no one will ever purchase from you more than once because they'll see you as a fraud. And as someone who is either not authentic and not believable, or they'll see you as someone who's so much more perfect than they are that they don't want to have anything to do with you because who wants to be with someone who's so perfect that they never seem to make a mistake, right? Yeah, I've heard that same thing, that people, they like the candor 
And even when it comes to the podcast, I know when I first started, I was so self-conscious about saying um or like or stuttering on a word. And at first you just want to edit every single thing. And then you realize, all right, you know, I'm never going to get anything done if I if I'm always trying to perfect every word that I say, so it's just going to have to go out. And realistically, people sometimes appreciate that more because it's authentic to who you are. They're getting to know you in who who you naturally are if they were to meet you at a coffee shop. So um, I've heard that. I've even heard that go so far as with Google reviews, that if you are someone who has no negative Google reviews that they, they are skeptical of it. They question it. They think are these fake yeah, and things like that, that people actually prefer to see some negative reviews because they just think it's more genuine. So I, I agree. And I've, I've heard other podcasts, uh, people that I listen to say, you can't hide behind your brand. You, you are your brand. Yep. You have to just kind of become comfortable with it. Now, if you happen to be a product and you're just selling a product, I think you can get away with just being your your product, being the face of your business. But if you're a service-based business, like I am, I just, that wouldn't work for me. I have to, people have to see who I am if they are going to get behind my brand. I completely get that and understand that. So with that in mind, tell us how you took your personality and your authenticity and created a seven figure and then multi seven figure business. How, how did that snowball? Because you started out, you said with no clients. Correct. So, um, the firm that I left allowed me to keep 25 cases. So I had 25 individual cases that I could work on to earn some money in that really short interim time. So I'm eternally appreciative for that because that did allow me to have some revenue coming in very quickly. But aside from that, I didn't have any clients lined up that I could, you know, get business from. So I I started hustling. You know, I went out every day and started going to lunch appointments. I would call up and say, you know, call up people that I thought would be uh prospects who'd be interested in referring business to me or working with me and started going to lunches every day of the week. Uh, A lot of that fell flat, honestly, because when they heard how new I was in the business, they were looking for something reciprocal and hearing that I didn't have much to offer. I didn't really have anything to offer at that point. They were kind of like, well, yeah, call me when you've got someone to refer to me kind of thing. And a lot of things just didn't work out how you planned. I am a person of faith and in, in, in looking in retrospect, there's really no explanation other than God put the right people in my life at the right time. I wish I could take credit for it, but I was introduced to one person who happened to be starting his business around the same time and was looking for a lawyer to help with all of the business that he was bringing in. And he was friends with my dad and my dad said, hey, you should meet my daughter, introduced us. And he was able to refer me a ton of cases in those early days for me that really spearheaded my growth. In addition to that, I that same friend that I told you about who had a really successful business, she knew another lawyer who uh, was great at bringing in business, but didn't really know how to actually handle the cases. And he yeah. had He'd had partners in the past who did the legal work, but they had parted ways. 
And so she introduced me to him. And so I was able to take this business that he'd already acquired, do the legal work on it to turn it into money and, uh, and was able to get hundreds of cases from him very quickly. There was another, um, client who had heard of me from another lawyer that she had worked with who didn't have the time to to do the thing she needed anymore and said, hey, call Brooke because she's starting out. She's got a lot more time on her hands. She could probably help you out. That turned into about 300 files in the course of a month. It was just people who had known me, who were friends of mine or family of mine, when they knew that I was starting out, and they they knew someone who might be a good fit. They made that introduction, and those people just were willing to give me a give me a shot. And it was um, it was being in the right place at the right time, being introduced to the right people at the right time. And once those few really big uh, clients came in, the rest was history. It's much easier to grow once you have business than it is before you have business. So Absolutely. That's kind of the nutshell version. Okay. So I'm curious, um, being a person of faith, I understand the idea that, you know, God may have put, you know, some opportunities in your path. Would you say that you went into the whole process with an attitude of this is going to work and I'm just willing to put in whatever I have to put in to make it work to the level that I want it to work. Yes. So it's interesting because even though it was a scary time, I personally wasn't, I didn't have a a major fear. I was more excited than anything else. I had a very strong sense of peace. My husband, on the other hand, (laughs) uh, was terrified and he was saying things like, our lives are ruined. <laughs> you know, he was just oh, no. really, really concerned. Um, I was the only income earner in our house. We had made the decision that he would stop working when our, our children were born. And so it had been about 10 years and he hadn't worked. And so for for me to be the sole income for our family at the time, and then uh, for me to be suddenly starting a new business with no plan or money or or clients in place was he was really, really concerned. But for me, I was very excited because it was a lifelong dream for me to have a business. And I never would have had the courage to do it, I don't think, if things didn't just kind of work out the way they did. And uh, so I was excited to see where where it would go. And I had a I had a lot of confidence. I I did feel like I knew how to be a lawyer. I yeah. I knew I was a good lawyer. At my old firm, I was a partner. I oversaw over a dozen lawyers. I um I oversaw multiple departments. Like they wouldn't have done all of those things. Allowed me to try cases, first chair, like they wouldn't have done those things if I wasn't a good lawyer. So I had a confidence in my my legal skills. Right. I just needed to learn to be a business person. And I, I believed I could do that. I believe there was resources out there and that I could uh, do the steps and do the social media and do the things that needed to be done and, uh, and, and grow my business base. I also did some math that figured out that to, 
to make ends meet because I started my business out of my home, kept my overhead as low as I could. I really only needed to settle five cases a month in the beginning. And I thought that seems manageable. If I could bring in five cases a month, settle five from the prior month or whatever, you know, just keep it rolling that I'm bringing in five cases and 10 cases a month. It seemed manageable to me. It didn't seem like the hundreds of cases now that I would need to to bring in to make ends meet. So um, it just, I just kind of broke it down into bite sizes, made an action plan on things that I could do and I could afford and knew that I would not give up mm-hmm. under any circumstances. And those three components really carried me through and allowed me to have peace through the, the, the time. That's amazing. Okay. So when you first started out after taking the advice to join the rotary, I assume, um, were you your own social media manager and website designer for in the beginning? So no, but my brother was. Oh, okay. You had an in. Yeah. It turns out I actually have a pretty talented family. I, <laughs> a lot of my, my mom worked with me. She was my first employee. She was my office manager. I have two cousins who currently work with me, an aunt who works with me. Um, my, there's a lot of family who works with me, but my brother is a multi-talented creative. He is an artist. He is a musician. He can really figure out how to do most anything. So he took photos of me and created my first website. And he also put together some social media posts. So I would, I would post some things we were we were really sporadic in the beginning with our <laughs> post because my brother was all about quality so he would want to 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 personally draw this amazing artwork to go with our little blurb and <laughs> and you just can't do that every day so we'd get like one really awesome post up and then it'd be 3 months before we had another one <laughs> but um you know, that's how you start. You you just start doing it. And then I would, if I was somewhere, I'd take a picture of myself somewhere and make a post. And it was, the social media was kind of sporadic in the beginning, but we, we got the website up pretty quickly uh, with the help of my brother and and just started trial and error really. And, and so some of the social media I did, the, the, some of the posts and stuff I would do myself, but any of the really artistic stuff my brother would do. That is awesome. Um, and how fortunate are you? <laughs> and my brother now edits my podcast. Does so, he? Yeah. Wow. You do have a multi-talented brother. That's amazing. Um, yeah. My brother is also multi-talented, but unfortunately not in those types of areas. So. <laughs> Okay, so before we get to, because I really want to talk about the blog and the podcast too, um, but for anybody who's leaving a corporate job with a law firm, you know, with a business, whatever, and going into entrepreneurship, what would you say were would be your like top three um, tips in doing that? Okay, so when you're just starting out in any business 
networking is going to be your best source of referrals. And even now, I, I've I've taken a look at this and my best cases still come from referrals from people I know. Uh, and there are months where I get dozens of calls from people from Google and only one turned out to be a viable case. So the the percentage of viable cases that come from advertising is very low. And so in order to make that worthwhile, you've got to have a lot of money going into advertising. So just the best thing you can do is to get into a networking group. The one that I participate the most heavily in is called BNI, Business Network International. And it's a referral group. So it's very direct and specific and you're held accountable for referring business to each other. So I've been in BNI for probably around five years now and I have given and received seven figures worth of business from BNI. So wow, that is my number one recommendation to people for uh, starting a new business. Second would be um, the, figuring out your brand, your brand identity. And the, the the pointer that I give on that is to, you can research like I did to see what other people are looking for. Um, they're looking for aggressiveness when it comes to a lawyer. And so originally that was what my brand was centered around. But over the course of time, and, and even though that is authentic to me when I'm in the courtroom, it didn't allow me to stand apart because it's what yeah. all the firms are doing. So now I encourage people to figure out what's unique about you and then do you times 10. So you figure out what's unique. Am I the nerd guy? Am I the funny girl? Am I the cheerleading queen or the, the homecoming queen? What am I? What's right. what's unique about me? And then let me um let me really emphasize that and lean into who I am and then have my brand be be around that. You've got to be authentic to who you are, but people have all different kinds of aspects of their personality. So you have to really choose one. And what I've now started focusing my brand around is more my creativity and musical talent. I created a music video um, called All About That Case. And- It was, it's it's a parody of Megan Trainor's song all about that bass, and it got so much recognition from people just beyond anything else I've ever done. That I said, well, this is my thing. Uh, I love to do it. It is authentic to who I am. The creative part of it, the singing, the dancing, all of that is just so fun and so true to who I am and what I enjoy doing. And it's not what people expect to see from a law firm. So it helps me to stand out. So that's the second thing would be figuring out your brand and being true to it. Third would be building your fan base. And to do that, uh, to, to do that, you have to do good work. So you have to put the needs of your clients above your own. You have to have happy customers. You have to have happy clients. And more than just happy, you want them to be raving fans. And so you you do things like send them a welcome package. In your early days, you might not have the 
a budget to do that, but send them a heartfelt email or a heartfelt text or a heartfelt note. Really appreciate your business. I really look for, I really thank you for the opportunity. I will do my very best to go above and beyond to meet your and exceed your expectations. Um, giving, sending, you know, calling them on the phone personally, uh, having face-to-face sit-downs, just things that make them feel heard and understood and cared about, uh, even go beyond just the results. I've had clients that we haven't gotten the best results for sometimes who are the biggest fans of the firm because they know we did everything within the bounds of the law to do what we could. And sometimes cases just aren't very strong. And so um, the the honesty and the candor that we treated them with left them with a good experience, even though they might not have gotten as much money as they had hoped to get out of their case. So just really focusing on having a good client experience is the third thing. And then building a team really would be the fourth thing that that comes to mind. I know you asked for three, but building a building a <laughs> A, a strong team is number four. No, I get that. Um, I really like what you mentioned about the personal thing. One of my old coaches actually likes to tell the story about his first year in business. He didn't have a team at all and paid his sister to handwrite cards to every client who signed on with him because he couldn't afford to send a welcome package or, you know, take them on a trip or you know, have a retreat that he, you know, paid up front for. So instead he sent handwritten notes to all of his clients at different intervals throughout their process. And it does make a difference to people. People feel seen. hundred percent. And they remember it. And, and, and it can be more valuable than even a gift. I was talking to my husband uh, about Valentine's day and, and I told him about the most cherished gift he ever gave me was a letter he wrote me when we were first dating that I still remember. He couldn't even remember writing the letter, but it was like 10 things I love about you. And he had listed them out and that uh, meant so much to me. And I remember it still 15 years later and it didn't cost any money. And he's bought me all kinds of valuable gifts since that time. But really what really meant the most to me was the heartfelt unexpected letter that he wrote. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about your blog and your podcast. The blog articles that I saw on your website, I think are really interesting because you are a legal firm that specializes in claims on insurance companies and everything, right? And yet a lot of the blog pieces that I saw seem to be how to avoid needing your services. Tell tell us about the logic behind that. Yeah. I mean, when we're writing blogs, we're thinking about what is going to help people. Uh, And, and that is a good rule of thumb also in any advertisement. Think what is the problem that people have that you can solve? And when people are looking for blogs or, or looking for articles, uh, sometimes that injury or that unexpected event has happened already and they're looking for, what do I do? But sometimes it hasn't happened yet. And so if you can give them useful information that can help them to avoid that pitfall or avoid that injury, uh, they will still 
remember you, appreciate that information. And then life is inevitable. Maybe they they personally don't ever have that pitfall, but maybe someone they do does and they remember you helped them through a blog article and can refer you or recommend you. It's really in the blogs. It's, it's The motivation is just about giving information that is going to benefit the public, that they're going to find useful. And yeah, we do have a lot of safety tips and safety things in our blogs because we think that um, it's something that will people will find helpful, useful information. And we don't want people to get injured. You know, none of us are wanting that. We just, if, if an accident or something does happen, we want to be there to assist them, of course. Absolutely. And I appreciated the fact that a lot of your tips are about protecting children because there's nothing more terrifying, as you know, as a parent um, than having your child be the one that's injured. Absolutely. And that's kind of been a niche that I have been um, doing more and more of is focusing on child injuries. Yeah. And and I, I think because it is not something that a lot of law firms are focusing on. And I think as a mother, it is something that I am passionate about mm-hmm. and that um, perhaps other mothers can hopefully feel a little more confident and safe with a lawyer handling their case who is also a mother and can empathize with their situation. And um, and no one is, there's a saying that says, the, the scariest place to be is between a cub and it's mama bear. Yeah. Like the mama bear is uh, definitely a, a, an aggressive advocate for their child or, or cub. Yes. Or at least you hope so. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So let's talk about the podcast. You and I were talking briefly before we started recording. You're only like 38 episodes into your podcast and you're already at the top top one and a half percent, um, according to listen now. So tell us about the podcast. What do you talk about and how did you get started with that? Sure. So the podcast is called Miss Biz. It is myself and my sister-in-law, Rachel Boltz. She's my co-host. And so we, Rachel has worked with me as well. We talk about family. Rachel's worked with me for the last several years. She's also a paralegal and works for the law firm. And the idea to start the podcast came for a couple of reasons. One is that through this entrepreneurial journey, I've really realized a passion for helping other business owners and entrepreneurs along their, their path with things that I've learned along the way. And so the podcast is a way to communicate that to a broader audience. Um, it also is a great tool for creating video content because you can video yourself doing your podcast and then you can make social media clips out of it. So in a sense, you can kill two birds with one stone and have both social media content and you can have um, your podcast content as well. It also, for me, was a way to reach a broader audience because although there are people who want to hear tips on safety and tips on their insurance policies, it it can be dry and boring to 
a large demographic. And so talking about business ownership and business growth and in marketing uh, was a little more interesting to a broader range of people than just talking about legal topics. So that was another motivation behind it is that I want to build relationships with more people online and through the podcast, but even I don't know if I could sit in a room and talk every week about the elements of negligence. <laughs> yeah, I as totally get that. As I am about the <laughs> law, duty breach causation and damages, you know, isn't it what I'm tuning into on Netflix at night? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I totally get that. So what are some of your favorite episodes you've done on your podcast? Great question. I have one on business gifting. It's a, it's a two episode, um, episode or two part episode. And I did a lot of research on that topic. I've read books on it. And when you talk about the customer experience and opening doors, getting your foot in the door at places, business gifting is the best way to do that. In fact, there's a statistic that says that the fastest way to double your sales is strategic business gifting. And so that podcast episode really was kind of a masterpiece for me. It was putting together all these different components of things I've been learning into one um, really efficient outline. Uh, Probably another one that's one of my favorites is public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I give an outline of how to have a winning speech or how to write a winning, write and deliver a winning speech. And I take one of my speeches as an example and, and break it down in the podcast. Uh, There's one I did recently that hasn't aired yet on mindset that I'm really excited about. Um, and then there's some of our guests that have come on that have, have had some really great interviews as well. But those three that I just mentioned are probably my three favorites right now. That's awesome. And, and wonderful topics and so diverse, but yet all relevant to the same broad group of people. I think that's that's one of the secrets, I think, of podcasting is finding your audience, but then understanding the whole breadth of topics that work for them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been something that I've been struggling a lot with because the advice that is out there when it comes to podcasts and even in business too, is niching down, you know, finding that they call micro micro niche that is so nuanced that no one else is doing it or very few people are doing it. But the problem that I see when people do that is they run out of things to talk about because (laughs) if I were, for example, only going to do a podcast on Google reviews, that was it, just Google reviews, then there's only so many things I'm going to be able to say about Google reviews before I'm going to start repeating myself. And I find that happening sometimes, even with some of my podcasts that were favorites of mine at times, I think I've heard this before. And I want to hear something new. Yeah. And because, but because they are so micro niched, 
they have to stay true to that niche. So for me, it's been a struggle because I I heed that advice. I recognize that that's good advice, but I haven't figured out for myself yet how to how to do it without limiting myself in the content I can talk about and and to service the needs of the people who are listening just beyond one specific topic. So we did we did rebrand recently with a new cover art and um with the slogan extreme marketing born to stand out because I do think that that is a common theme through our our podcast is standing out and being creative and ways to to do that. Uh, I think especially in the legal field, we've done a good job at differentiating ourselves from other firms. Maybe some people think it's silly or stupid, but it has created um, awareness of our brand in a way that being like everyone else wouldn't have done. So so that kind of extreme marketing uh, standing out is kind of our niche, but we certainly still talk about other things that are relevant and important to growing your business. Absolutely. And how have you, have you been marketing your podcast on social media? Have you marketed your podcast other places as well? Where, how, how have you gotten to 1.5% of in 38 episodes? <laughs> oh, shoot. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> I don't know. Like we, we we definitely marketed on social media, but we haven't. We actually just did our first paid ad this week. Oh wow! Uh, and it was a lead magnet to try to gather email addresses, but we haven't done paid ads on social media. But we post daily. We do. We have video clips of our episodes. We do dances. We do jingles. We, we we write jingles for everything. We are we have so many jingles. I play the guitar not very well. I'm kind of like Phoebe Buffay, but maybe just a little bit better. <laughs> and so we 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 play and sing these jingles. And again, we're trying to get people to notice us. And yeah. We, we, our color scheme is pink and we wear these really bright pink colors in our photos. We've done branding photos that are just really bright. And one of my outfits is like four, 4,000 feathers on it. It's like, it just, we're really, really trying to stand out. And so, and we're very consistent. We have social media posts that go up every single day. Uh, Rachel really does that. Um, my co-host, she does all the social media stuff. Um, so we are very active on social media. We have clips and stuff going out all the time. We're consistent with our podcast that airs every week. We also promote it to the people that we know and because we're out there. She has her own business too, Bolts Media. And so we're both out promoting our own businesses and at the same time promoting the podcast as well in our networking circles. And um, it's just, it just really has been an organic growth from putting in a lot of time and, and, and effort 
into both social media and in the content of this of the podcast itself. I think that's amazing. And you're lucky to have a partner who also, you know, helps out with that promotion. But I think that, you know, consistency is something that everybody needs to understand it is one of the keys to everything. I think it's funny. My current coach has a podcast and she will tell you, I have never edited a podcast episode. I have never uploaded a podcast episode. I do not know how to do either one. Um, but she said that doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means that I started mine at a point where I was able to pay someone right off the bat and I just never learned it. And, you know, going back to what you said a, a few minutes ago about niching down, some of the most successful podcasts out there are really pretty broad. If you look at, um, I always think of Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. Um, he covers every topic under the sun, both business and health and spirituality and all sorts of other things. And sometimes I think that when people are attracted to a podcast, they're partly attracted to you. You know, you were talking about, you know, trying to stand out and bring your authenticity to things. I think that sometimes a podcast is successful because the personality behind it is someone that people enjoy listening to and feel connected with. And niching down in a podcast maybe isn't, I'm going to commit heresy here, maybe isn't as important as if you're coaching or if you are, um, you know, looking to do a um, digital service. Mm -hmm. Maybe podcasting is a little bit broader because you want people to feel like you understand all of them. And as you said, doing you know, a hundred episodes on Google reviews probably isn't going to keep your listeners engaged. <laughs> right. Yeah. It gets boring and gets redundant. And what they say is once you have a, an established following, then you can branch out and talk about right. things. Um, so that's, that's the advice that they give you. It's not, it's not forever that you have to just talk about Google reviews or talk about whatever your thing is, but it is until you establish a following, you need to stay true to just that one topic. Uh, but for me, I just couldn't think of one topic other than the extreme marketing that was, um, that, that I had enough to say about on a consistent basis or that really encapsulated the value that I wanted to give to my listeners. I wanted to share with them all of my experience. And there's not just one thing that I did to bring me to the place that I am now. There was a whole host of things and it's an ongoing experimentation and ongoing process. And I wanted to take them along that journey with me. And I, I didn't know how to do that if I narrowed myself to just one specific subject, but there's still wisdom in it. I still understand it and I'm still wrestling with it to try to find a niche that would be fitting for me. But so far, extreme marketing, born to stand out is the closest thing we've come up with. Well, I love it. And I am obviously your listeners are loving it because you're doing outstanding. And I think that's amazing. Is there anything that you think listeners might really benefit from in terms of either, 
you know, starting a business or podcasting or even something legal that you think it would be helpful to throw out here? Sure. We haven't covered. <laughs> yeah. Let me think. So, well, I mentioned briefly about, well, let's see, what would be some really strong advice for, so for, for you think for newer businesses or for established businesses? Let, let's go with newer, because I think that there's a lot of people in my listening audience who would be newer entrepreneurs or business people. So for a new business owner, the best advice I can give is to find a strong mentor. Um, I didn't really do that. I had my friend uh, who who operated as a mentor, but it wasn't in quite the same way as if I had had a paid mentor who was sitting there going through things with me on a weekly or monthly basis. So I think that is the quickest way to reach higher levels of success than you could on your own through trial and error. I did a lot of trial and error and it it probably slowed me more than than I could have grown if I would have had a mentor very early on. And some of the good ones are expensive and people don't necessarily want to invest in that but if you if you find a good mentor the value that they will bring to your business supersedes whatever the expense is because there's just no because the alternative is to just failing and trying again and failing and trying again and failing and trying again and uh, and that's why a lot of people quit honestly yeah. because they're tired of failing and if you have a roadmap that's worked for someone else and many other people who can guide you along the way it uh it can be the difference between success and failure yeah absolutely you know failure brings us great lessons sometimes but um as you said nobody likes to fail and let's be real the cost of a really good mentor is a tax deduction on your business expenses. So 100%, 100%. <laughs> and when you were asking me for another piece of advice, I almost went the tax route. Because, <laughs> but when you said new, the taxes don't really become as much of a, of a pain point until you get a little further into your business. But in the beginning, it's just like, I got to get dollars in the, in the account. And then yep. once you have those dollars in your account, you're like, how do I keep them there instead of having to give them all to Uncle Sam? So uh, that's kind of next level after you start to acquire some business. Absolutely. Okay, Brooke, this has been so amazing. Why don't you tell everybody, obviously we know there is the podcast Miss Biz as one way to find you. Tell us how else people can hook up with you if they want to learn more. Sure. So my two websites are Bolts Legal, that's B-O-L-T-Z legal.com, and then MissBiz.com. It's M-S-B-I-Z.com. I'm on all the social media channels at, at MissBizPodcast is our handle, or Bolts Legal, B-O-L-T-Z legal. Awesome. Brooke, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners. And we will catch you again on the next episode of the Profit Able Podcast. Take care. into the Profit Able Podcast. I hope you picked up some useful nuggets to implement right away to increase your profits or your ability to live that good life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with any coaches, course creators, or lifestyle design centers who would find value in this content. When we support each other, we all rise up. I look forward to bringing you more real tactical tips to grow your business and enhance your life on the next episode of the Profit Able Podcast. See you then.